This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Sharon Williams, Senior Vice President of Payer Relations and Contracting at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, a City of Hope company. Sharon, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. It's great to be here, Laura. I think we're going to have a good time. Absolutely. I'm excited for our discussion. I know we have a lot to dig into. There's a lot of changes happening at CTCA and um, in the payer space in general. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, So I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia, um, but I um, head up contracting for our three states, uh, Arizona, Georgia, and Illinois. We have health systems and clinics in those uh, states. And um, but I spent most of my life uh, and most of my career on the health plan side um, of the industry as a former health plan CEO and COO. So I've had a tour of duty with most of the major health plans and worked for a few of the consulting firms, including my own um, small consulting practice, uh, dealing with payer transformation, um, and even had some federal clients like um, the CDC, um, Health and Human Services, um, and really enjoyed uh, that work before coming to um, the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, which is a City of Hope company. Absolutely. Well, that sounds fantastic. And it seems like you've got a great background um, from your time with the health plans and in consulting to really understand have the, the global perspective on these types of issues. So I think my first question I have for you here is what is your key focus for the second half of 2022? What do you see as being really crucial and essential for your work at Cancer Treatment Centers of America? Yeah, so I think for us, it's really about expansion and transformation. So in light of the City of Hope acquisitions, uh, we are reintroducing ourselves to the market, illustrating our value proposition to our payers, to our providers, and of course, to our patients. There's a lot of payers and employers who think they know us, uh, but they really don't. So I find that when I'm sitting down and really going through our quality profiles, our utilization profiles, um, our adherence to clinical pathways, They're pleasantly surprised, so I've been able to contract with a number of new payers and employers that had not traditionally contracted with us. And one of the draws is um, we are really um, focused on the consumer experience. So part of that expansion is really enhancing the consumer experience, um, maintaining our consistently high levels of patient satisfaction in all of our sites. We're going to be expanding our contracts with payers, employers, ACOs um, in the government program space, neuro networks, centers of excellence. And for those who are concerned with our our speed to quality care, you know, our average time for employment is just three to five days. And nationally, the wait for uh, treatment is around 26 days. So we're going to be working with payers and employers to kind of rethink network adequacy. It's more than just checking the box of what um, the regulators are requiring, especially if you want to be customer focused. We're going to be expanding our bone marrow transplant service lines in all of our communities, the personalized gene therapy, and focusing on strategic partnerships within our healthcare ecosystems, um, as well as expanding our rural healthcare uh, initiatives. Now, value-based purchasing, I, I listened to your podcast as we talked about And there's a lot of people talking about value-based purchasing, but there's still a lot of fee-for-service. 
So we are seeking payers and employers who are interested in partnering by creating pilots or demonstrations. We're going to continue to expand our product portfolio. So more and more services are being offered through telehealth and the home. We have a virtual second opinion uh, program. Um, we're going to be expanding our physician and clinical recruitment. We're going to continue to focus on quality stars initiatives. And lastly, you know, our stakeholders. Uh, part of expanding is um, uplifting uh, our stakeholders who are so consumer and patient focused. So expanding professional development programs, training and mentoring. There's a number of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Uh, and lastly, just transforming our work culture as we integrate uh, with City of Hope. Got it. Absolutely. So it sounds like you are working on lots of different things right now, many different um, initiatives to expand services to make sure that you are consumer focused and patient focused, boosting satisfaction, as well as bringing in more um, new employers and plans into the network, which is amazing. Um, but when you think about, as you mentioned, some of the big um, challenges around just becoming that patient-focused, consumer-focused, really delivering the, the experience that your patients want, what are you hearing from them? What are you thinking about? How are you making that experience better than it had been, say, five or 10 years ago? Well, so, Laura, that's, that's a great question. I mean, one of the things that we have always prided ourselves in, this is, you know, the legacy CTCA and, and City of Hope clearly feels as passionately about their patients as we do. So it was a really good culture fit. Uh, in terms of the, the acquisition, but we're automating a, a number of our customer service options for our patients. We always offer that white glove. Um, and so while we may like assist with transportation, assist with some of the social determinants of health, as we get into government program space, there's certain things you, you can't do for government program patients, but we still want them to have that high touch, high customer service. So we are revamping like how, for example, our case managers and transportation um, coordinators work with the payers in a more intimate fashion to make sure that our patients get, uh, get to their appointments, uh, get the care that they need. Uh, we do a lot of environmental assessments and we treat not just the patient, but their family. Um, so we, we're always looking at um, when someone comes in for an appointment, not just the patient per se, but um, the person who's taking care of them or their advocate uh, to make sure that they feel comfortable navigating the system. And you may know this um, about CTCA, but all of our care is delivered under one roof. We have always done that as part of um, our customer service model. But, you know, when you have a cancer diagnosis, you don't want to necessarily be running from one building to another for your care. So we create rooms that are like hotel suites and our um, patient's family, there's room for them there. Of course, we had to modify some of this because of COVID and with the COVID restrictions, but we're, we're keenly aware that it's not just the patient, but the patient's values um, and their family uh, that we're providing treatment and services for as well. Absolutely. That's a really great point and, you know, such a, an interesting way to think about how you're able to serve patients and their families better um, moving forward. So we've talked a lot about some of the big areas and opportunities for growth and development, but what roadblocks do you anticipate over the next few years and how are you preparing for them? Yeah, you know, so 
so roadblocks, right? So I, I had a smile um, as you were saying uh, that, that question. Um, and I was thinking about the accelerated speed of, of change. So, you know, I'm a change agent. I typically welcome change. Um, but sometimes I think what's happening in the industry is because there's so much pressure to reduce cost. Um, and I'm going to assume, you know, good faith on behalf of all of the actors um, in the healthcare industry. But um, there's all of these changes that are taking place. And, and I was re- reminiscing with um, my CFO about the good old days. Um, this is back when uh, policy changes and fee schedule changes were just once a year. Um, and then, you know, it started to speed up maybe a couple times a year. At, at a minimum, we're seeing policy and fee schedule changes quarterly. And for some payers, it's even monthly. So when you think about the impact on your business, and you know, I've talked about our, our speed to care, I've talked about um, how important it is that we, you know, we treat our customers and our patients and their families with the respect that they deserve. You know, if you get that cancer diagnosis, imagine having to wait 27 days for your appointment or for treatment. Um, that's, that's, that's a really um, tough pill to swallow, no pun intended. And, and so when you look at the prior authorization rules, um, some of the policies around drug utilization, um, they're calling it white bagging or, or brown bagging. And, and so, you know, luckily, you know, our payers have come to understand our clinical model and that we, we can't, um, you know, when our patients come to us, we want them to get their treatment as, as soon as possible. And we also want to make sure that if they have to leave with drugs or um, certain services, that they get that um, immediately and that they don't have to wait. Um, and so luckily, um, the payers understand that. But every once in a while, new policies sneak in. And what we're seeing are some of the policies really becoming more prescriptive and somewhat intrusive to how our clinical teams provide care and customer service, so the biosimilar policies. Most of the large payers have their own PBMs and some of their own specialty pharmacy uh, purchasing programs. Um, but we also um, have our, our own programs as well because, you know, again, each actor, both our healthcare system and the payers, they want to deliver value, right? Um, but in terms of prescribing, physicians have their prescription patterns um, as well. And so we've had a conversation recently with one of the large uh, payers who had a biosimilar policy that was in conflict with our, our how we practice care and, and how we prescribe care to our, our patients. And to their credit, they sat down with us. They brought all of their um, specialists to the table, and we had a really good conversation. So while we're waiting to see the outcome of that, I think um, the kind of the, the speed of all of these changes, uh, the invasive nature in terms of how it impacts how doctors and clinicians are prescribing, um, I, I think um, is definitely a challenge. And how do we overcome it? We're trying to have better, more thoughtful conversations with our payer partners. Um, and again, with the assumption that everybody's trying to do the best they can to reduce expenses of the healthcare delivery system, or at least arrest the rate of growth. Um, and we know we want to be reimbursed for quality and integrated services. Um, the other, what we're seeing is recoupment without prior approval. Um, some of the large payers feel that if they see something within a utilization pattern or, or claim, 
that they would just recoup the dollars without even um, prior notification. And we're trying to bring them back to the table to say, let's have a conversation about this. Uh, we don't need more claims projects or more points of abrasion between payers and, and, um, and us. And, and we're really trying to be good partners, you know, and, and to really have proactive conversations around what we're seeing on, on either side. And then on a personal note, the other challenge I think we face as we think about healthcare, you know, it exists in the broader social context that we call America, right? And I think right now, um, as all Americans, um, our democracy is devolving. And um, the, there is an attack on a lot of people's personal freedoms and things that um, most people consider healthcare has become politicized. And um, I also think that our, our civil discourse is eroding. Um, and I think even if we don't agree on certain things, we have to at least have civil discourse to bolster our democracy. And that facts matter and that science matters. So we're living in very interesting times. And, you know, how, again, how do I face it or try to overcome it? Um, you know, I was on a flight back from Arizona and I sat next to um, a gentleman who, you know, did not believe in, in vaccines and, um, you know, had his own thoughts on it. And of course, you know, I do believe in vaccines. I do support uh, the clinical research in epidemiology. We had a good conversation. Uh, we didn't agree, but he even said to me, he said, you know, this was nice. We disagreed, but we were civil about it. Um, and, and so I, I think that's really important. And I also think it's important that healthcare leaders, um, you know, kind of speak up on some of these healthcare issues, whether it be gun violence or um, a woman's right to, to contraception and, and um, abortion. So these aren't cancer issues, but as you can tell from my background, I care deeply about um, our healthcare ecosystem. Um, and I, you know, I care about our country. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point in, you know, talking about some of these issues and some of these challenges on the macro level with how people are conducting themselves and conversing um, with, with some of the large discussions that are very much within the lane of healthcare, healthcare providers and uh, the um, healthcare system as a whole is just so incredibly interesting to get the perspective of others. And as you mentioned, you know, trying to move to a space where you can have the civil discussions about some of those issues because it's definitely having a huge impact on how um, we're moving forward as a society as well as the healthcare system in general. And I think too, you know, when you were talking about some of the challenges that you are having um, across the board with, you know, making sure that you're having conversations with payers, making sure people have access to care. I know one of the other uh, big issues that seems to be coming up a lot is just the economic situation where we're at right now um, with inflation and, and those kinds of things. And when you're connecting with the payers or ACOs, obviously value in care is a really big um, part of where you're moving. How do you factor in some of these other issues and challenges um, within the larger context of what's happening in the country um, to really make sure that you're, you know, able to think about and prepare for the future, um, you know, and, and take that into consideration. Wow, Laura. Okay, I didn't think you were going to go there, but you did. All right, so let's let's go there. Um, you know, what I'm finding, um, especially a lot of the payers, is that it, it starts off as a very, very narrow conversation, um, especially if it's a publicly traded um, payer. Um, you know, that sometimes I, I think they're their obligation to the street and to their investors 
sometimes is, is more important than um, what's happening in terms of, um, you know, the life of a patient and the life of a physician or a clinician. And we are on the front lines. So we at CPCA, we at City of Hope, we're on the front lines with our physicians and our patients. And so I tried to make that real to them. So, so there's that value conversation, right? So what, com- what constitutes value? You've got to hit certain quality scores. Um, that's why I talked about our, our customer service, our age cap, our press gaming. We have always been at the very top um, of the game in terms of um, our, our patient satisfaction. And so to the payer, that's important because that's how they get reimbursed, right, from both their employers as well as um, CMS. Um, and then there's the quality. And, and, and so what we try to talk about quality is not just the CMS measures, but um, the, the environment um, in which our patients and, and their, their families are, are being taken care of. And then and lastly, um, you know, the devil's in the details, we get into rates. And, you know, you know this, um, that there's, there's kind of increased intensity between both the payers and the health systems around rates because the dollars are, are not what they used to be. And even commercial reimbursement isn't what they used to be. And if you look at the continuum, like in your macroeconomic system, of commercial reimbursement to, to Medicaid, um, Medicaid, you know, the cost shifting between Medicaid, Medicare, and commercial um, it, it's getting tougher and tougher. So there are a lot of really tough conversations. And I find, you know, how do I overcome that? It, you know, I, I try to keep the patient and the clinician first. And, I, and sometimes I have to remind the payers of who we represent. And we don't just represent a general hospital or, um, you know, a, a maternity ward. I mean, we represent some of the most vulnerable people in the healthcare system. We have cancer patients. And so I actually had a conversation with a major payer yesterday, and he kept um, saying certain things like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I said, because we're a cancer treatment center. Um, you know, we don't live to have an emergency room um, as a cash center. We're trying to keep people out of the emergency room. Um, we're trying to reduce readmissions. Um, we have intense case management. That's where our services go. And so we have to take the time to almost deconstruct the care that we're offering, um, re- deconstruct the fact that we don't make our patients come back multiple days for treatments um, or surgeries just because CMS, you know, will only reimburse so much for the first procedure, so much for the second, and sometimes they're bundled. And so we're not afraid of bundles. But what, what we don't like is not having a chance to cover costs and um, we, we don't like to inconvenience um, our patients. And so um, in the middle of a contract negotiation, sometimes we have to deliberately slow things down to remind all the parties, you know, I'm not reporting to Wall Street. Um, I'm not trying to create value for investors. I'm really trying to create a really good work environment for our clinicians and our stakeholders. And we're trying to create a really good experience for our patients. And sometimes that works. Um, sometimes, you know, um, things break down, and then we have to come back a few months later when cooler heads prevail. Um, but I have noticed just a, kind of an intensity 
in the contracting that didn't exist, you know, when I was on the payer side. And, you know, representing, you know, a cancer treatment center um, and cancer care, I, I would expect a little bit more um, of an understanding. Um, and sometimes that means we've got to escalate, escalate, you know, we'll start with, the, you know, the, the contracting person. And sometimes we have to end up with the CEO um, of the payer um, to have a more policy-oriented macroeconomic discussion that um, sometimes the more junior people can have. Absolutely. I really appreciate your candid response there. And I think that, you know, makes a lot of sense and is really a great way to frame things in terms of, you know, who you're advocating for and who you're making sure um, gets access to care and what's so, so important within that conversation, which is, as you mentioned, the patients. So before we wrap up our discussion, I just have one more question for you. What are you most excited about right now? <laughs> well, I'm an excitable person, as you can tell. Um, I love what I do um, for a living. I, I've always um, cared about healthcare. Um, I recently reconnected with a, a buddy of mine from grad school, and he was quoting me about stuff that I said back in grad school about healthcare. And a lot of it has come true, um, but I'm still holding out hope for universal coverage um, and a better safety net for more Americans, particularly those who are, are most vulnerable. So I'm holding on to that. But in terms of just the City of Hope transformation, you know, they acquired TGen, which is the Translational Genomics Research Institute. Um, and um, that kind of stuff, I love to geek out on the level of research that we're going to have um, access to the over a thousand clinical studies that are going on right now. The gains that they've made in treating HIV and AIDS um, is just um, gobsmacking. It's really exciting. Um, there's a ton of innovation that's taking place in the industry. So, um, you know, all the research, the technology, new players trying to disrupt the industry at every level. I find all of it very exciting and try to track as much of it as I can. Um, I'm also excited about my team. Um, I feel like I have the most perfect team um, that I've ever worked with um, given my, my healthcare career, but I like the stakeholders throughout the organization. We're all very CQI focused, um, continuous quality improvement. We don't rest on our laurels. Um, we're continuing to build on excellence. Um, and we've got a, a customer focused organizational culture. And it's unlike any other where um, I have worked. And it, to share an anecdote, because I know a lot of people say that, right? So I was home for the holidays. And um, in the past, I've been home, but my mother would say, or my family would say, I wasn't present because either I was on the phone, I was on the laptop, I was doing a bunch of work. So I promised them that I would not do that. Um, I was gonna stay present, but I did get a call from work. So I excused myself in the living room where my family was, went into the next room and I'm talking to my, my fellow stakeholder. And she was just um, very intense about <laughs> getting one of our patients approval for care. And she asked if I could help. So I you know, took the time, made the calls, Long story short, we got the patient um, in, the, the payer approved the, the, the care. I went back into the room to join my family, and my mother said to me, gosh, is everybody that intense, or is it just that person? And I said, you know, Mom, we have something here at, at the cancer treatment centers. We call it the mother standard of care. So she was trying to get our patient in for care, and she was treating that patient like she was her mom, and I would do no different for you. 
that's what we do. And my mother just smiled. Um, and on a personal note, I am excited about the midterms. Um, I'm out there, you know, in my private time, just um, teaching people about the importance of voting in the midterms and voting down the ballot, not just for governor, go Stacey Abrams, um, and um, talking to people about um, all the different offices that they need to vote for and how they impact people's lives. So as I said before, uh, Laura, we are living in very interesting times. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much, Sharon, for jumping on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate your time and, and efforts and all the passion that you bring to your work in healthcare and otherwise. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. I look forward to seeing you too, Laura. Take care.